Sunni and Shia, Israel and Palestine, Iraq and America. All are calling on Canon Andrew White as one of the world's leading experts and mediators for reconciliation and peace to help negotiate the complex political Middle East conflicts. But as he walks through this maze of tangled interests with diplomatic boldness, his first calling is to minister in the name of Jesus Christ to the people of these war-torn lands. Best known as an advisor to presidents and prime ministers, Canon Andrew White is foremost a pastor, leading St. George's Church in Baghdad, providing food and education for children in Bethlehem, creating housing, fishing, and food projects in Gaza. What a joy it is for us this morning to welcome Canon Andrew White back to Christ Community Church. Um, we really don't even call him a guest anymore. Once you've been here, you're part of the family, and we so much appreciate Canon Andrew's White, Canon Andrew White's ministry around the world, and also here to our body at Christ Community. What a great time we had last night with him as as he was here and spoke to us about uh, some of the developments in that uh, war-torn region. None of us will forget when Canon White was here about nine months ago when he spoke here at Christ Community and on his way to the platform heard that his church, St. George's Church, in the most dangerous parish in the world had just been bombed. And I know many of us have been in prayer for him and supporting him in many different ways. There's a great piece that I just read from out at the Welcome Center. It will tell you a lot more about how you can support Canon White in your prayers and in other ways. I'd encourage you to pick one of these up on your way out today. Uh, Canon Andrew White lives in... Um, let me get this right. Uh, it's here somewhere. Liphook, Hampshire in England uh, with his wife, Carolyn, and his two sons, Jacob and Josiah. Again, what an outstanding privilege it is for us to have Canon White with us today. Let's greet him as he comes. Right, you can sit down now, otherwise I'll run out of time. <laughs> Thank you very much for that kind introduction. It's great being back here. It's very interesting to see that I live in Liphook in Hampshire, in England. My wife told me on the way to church this morning that she needed new windows because it was really cold in the house. And I don't live there, so I don't know. So, I do go there about three days a month. So, that's all. Most of the time, I'm in Baghdad or wherever else I need to be, or Israel. Um, it's wonderful to be back here at this church. I was saying to Pastor Tom just now, I heard his sermon early. It was so good. It was brilliant. I said, if I had been at a church like that, I wouldn't have minded sitting in the pew I only became a clergyman because I was too bored to sit in the pew. <laughs> the church I've got now is certainly not boring in Baghdad. I love my church and I love my congregation. Um, it's an Anglican church without any Anglicans in it. <coughs> We have over a thousand members now, and the church is growing all the time, and all the other churches around are dwindling in numbers because people are leaving, because things are so awful, and we're not exempt from the terrible things which are happening all around. When I'm in Iraq now, 
Um, I'm not allowed to go to my church. I'm probably the only pastor in the world who's not allowed to visit his church. And we have our church in the Shiite Muslim Prime Minister's office. Probably the only church in the world in the Shiite Muslim office. But it works very well. And uh, initially, my people were quite afraid to come into church when I was in town because they didn't want to come into the international zone. Now, it's considered the safe place to worship. So, they really worship. I try and finish a service after five hours, but um, I'm not very successful. When I last gave the benediction after five hours, they continued singing for another two. <laughs> so, they like worshipping. And they like worshipping because they realize that God is the only thing which gives us strength and continuity. And our worship is led by the little children. And I looked at the little children the other Saturday and I counted how many of them had had their fathers killed in the past year. And it was most of them. And I looked at the women sitting in the pews and each week they're more wearing black because their husbands have been killed. And the other, the other day I sat on my bed in the international zone where I live in the secure compound and I actually cried because every day that week I'd had colleagues and friends killed and it's very difficult sometimes always now, and a couple of weeks ago was the first time I felt really sad and disheartened about everything, and believe it or not, I come here to America and I take great hope from this church. You know that little leaflet that uh, you were reading just now, John? It was actually produced by somebody at this church to help us. And that is wonderful. I must confess, I haven't read it yet. <laughs> I heard a bit of it this morning, and I will read it. Um, but it is available at the back of the church at the Welcome Center. And um, you can sign up there to get our regular emails. And there's a newsletter there, which I have written, but I haven't read. Um, <laughs> One of my books recently won an award for the best book in Britain last year or this year or some year. And um, I, when I was given the award, I was told to read part of the book. I had to confess. I said, I've never read it before. I just wrote it. <laughs> and I don't know what's in it, really. For those of you who were here last night, it began by showing you three badges. That's the one we have on the front of our T-shirts. I just buy the T-shirts. I don't wear them. I can't really be seen in such things. Um, so that says Multinational Forces Iraq. And the back used to say, smile, it's going to get worse. But they've changed it as things have got worse. And it now says, have a nice day someplace else. <laughs> and there's a bullet going through the happy face head. And 
These things are there and it makes us laugh for a while, but it makes us laugh and realize that everything is terrible. It is also difficult. I've spent the past week at the Pentagon mainly working through what needs to be the new policy. And um, there are going to be considerable changes. And one of the major changes is they've finally appreciated the role of religion in conflict and violence. And the very sad thing is that most of the violence we're experiencing is violence in God's name. And I sat down with Prime Minister al-Maliki the other day, and I said to him what I thought we needed to do, and he asked me if I'd work with the American government uh, trying to ensure we could move the religious track of his reconciliation process along, which we are very much doing, but he said, you know, all of our violence is religious. And this is very painful. It's predominantly, well, it's all Islamic. And it hurts. Hurts a lot. Most of my staff are Muslims. And amongst my Muslim staff, we meet together each morning, and they come with me, and we pray together. And all of them pray with me. And they pray the same way that we pray. And they come to church with me, and the reality is that they're really Christians now. But if they were to call themselves Christians, they'd be killed. I recently baptized some Iraqi Muslims. We've got very good baptistry. Where's your baptistry? Under here. Where is it? In the lake. <laughs> well, in Baghdad, we've got really good baptistries. I'd recommend you come and try it sometime. <laughs> it was built by Saddam Hussein as his swimming pool, but it makes a brilliant baptistry. <laughs> so we baptise people in there, and it's incredible to see what was evil being used for the way of God. And we also have our alpha courses. We now have five in the green zone, in the international zone. We have various Bible studies, and we have them in one of Saddam Hussein's conference rooms. We meet around the table where the Republican Guard used to meet. And you don't read this in your media, because it's actually good news, and it's about how God can transform something which is evil into something which is beautiful. And so despite everything which is awful that is going on, God is there with us. I often say that Monday to Friday I do politics and diplomacy, and on Saturdays and Sundays I do God. But God comes with us everywhere. And whatever we do, God is directing us, and God is guiding us, and God is blessing us. And what is happening in Iraq today is awful, but God is there. And God is doing something connected with his end-time things. I want you to go away and read the last 
four verses of Isaiah 19. Because in the last four verses of Isaiah 19, God not only says he has chosen Israel, but he says he has chosen Iraq and Egypt, Assyria and Egypt. And this is something I only learned recently. I don't know, or I didn't know Isaiah 19 perfectly, but now I do. And all the time, God opens up new passages of the Bible. I've been doing a series on um, Iraq in the Bible and things that happened in the Bible with my Iraqi congregation and my American congregation. And um, it's quite interesting that I always say most weeks that this is the last in the series and God reveals something to me in the week, and it's not the last in the series, and the series has been going on for over a year now. So um, one day we might finish it and deal with something else, but it's wonderful to see how God has always worked there. I think when I last came to you, somebody mentioned that I mentioned, I spoke about Jonah, you know, that miserable, most successful evangelist ever, who arrived by submarine transportation. And our people are still there now. The other day, the, one of my congregation said, uh, one of my American congregation, um, a wonderful man, uh, he stood up and said, do you know what Canon White has taught us about Jonah? He said, well, there was a little girl and she was telling her teacher about Jonah at school. And the Teacher said to the little girl, well, Jonah, it's not true. He never really went by well to Nineveh. And the little girl said to the teacher, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him. And the teacher said, Jonah won't get to heaven. And the little girl said, well, you ask him then. The person who told that story told us that story the morning after his mother had died. And he was stuck in Baghdad. He was still playing the drums, leading us in worship, and he told us that story. I want to finish just by telling you a story of something that happened just the other day in our church. After the service, I always sit down and I listen to the stories of the people and they often tell me we haven't eaten or such and such has been kidnapped or my killed children have been killed. And they're terrible stories. I can remember one of my congregation a few weeks ago brought me pictures of the dead bodies of all of his children. They'd all been killed. But this man brought me a letter from the local hospital and it said um, that all of our urologists have been kidnapped or killed, the radiotherapy machine was not working, and they could no longer treat Vivian, who was six years of age. She has bladder cancer. And I just took Vivian in my arms, and I held her, and I prayed, God, send us a urologist. If you want to see Vivian, it's in our newsletter, which is at the back of the church, and there's a picture of little Vivian kneeling, praying, she used to go every day to pray in church that God would heal her. And um, 
That night, I prayed all night for little Vivian. And I just kept praying, God, please send me a urologist. And I know you don't usually find urologists walking around Baghdad. But God can do anything. And the next morning in my American congregation, which is um, in the Saddam's palace, I was preaching about worship and the glory of God. And uh, afterwards, I was shaking people's hands on the way out. You know how ministers as supposed to. And um, good morning, Colonel. Very good to have you here. Good morning, General. And then this major came up to me. He said, oh, I want to see you, Colonel. Well, I was born in England. I said, you don't sound as if you were. He sounded completely American. And um, I said to him, well, Major, what are you doing? He said, I'm only working at the CASH. The CASH stands for Combat Army Support Hospital. Um, I said, what are you doing there? He said, I'm only a urologist. (laughs) I said to him, I only want to see you now, nobody else. You're the only man in the world I want to see. Major Gibbons took on um, organizing the treatment for little Vivian, did all the scans on her, and she is now being treated in hospital in Jordan, and indeed will have her... Um, bladder removed in um, a week or so. And so we give thanks to God that he has enabled us to get little Vivian treated. And I sent her there with her father, and last week her mother and her brothers and sisters were able to join her. It's expensive, but I know that it, it is the work of God. I want to end just by reading a short passage of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was in Iraq, by the way. And he says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, Violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, And that's the beginning of the book of Habakkuk. And it could be a prayer that we pray. Because it asks the question, there's violence everywhere. How does it happen, God? I must confess it's not the prayer that I pray. But at the end of Habakkuk is a very different prayer. And it is a prayer that we pray. And Habakkuk prays this. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, and the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength, and he makes my feet like that of a deer. And in all that we do, we just praise God. We cry at times. It's a very difficult place to work. It's a very painful place to see your loved ones not just murdered, but murdered and tortured terribly. It happens all the time. But we continue to praise God. Somebody said to me, well, I was drinking coffee outside. Well, 
do you have lots of security? And I said, well, I have to have lots of security now because there's a big price on my head. I thought it was $4 million, but I gather it's gone up to $5 million. And I told him that the taxi ride from the airport to um, the international zone is the most expensive taxi ride in the world. It's six miles, and it costs $9,000 each way. So $18,000 for a round trip to the airport. And often people invite me to do things that while wow, one of our priests in Oman wrote to me recently saying, please come to Oman for this. And I wrote back to him and said, I can't afford to leave. It's too expensive. So I'll stay here with my people. My assistant, Pete, who has been with me this week, um, came with me to Baghdad for the first time quite recently. And he was asking me, telling me he needed to buy an alarm clock because he'd forgot his alarm clock. I said, don't worry, we have bombs every morning. They wake us up. And it's absolutely true. So even though everything is terrible, we praise God.